Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Federal prosecutors brought the first seditious conspiracy charges stemming from the January 6th attack against the leader and members of the far-right group, Oath Keepers. Meanwhile, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is refusing to comply with the January 6th committee's request to be interviewed. Representative Matt Gates's ex-girlfriend testified before a federal grand jury as part of an ongoing sex crimes investigation into the congressman. And over the weekend, four hostages were taken at a synagogue outside of Fort Worth, Texas. The hostage taker reportedly demanded the release of Afia Siddiqui, a Pakistani woman who was serving an 86-year sentence for attempting to murder American military and FBI officials. An MIT and Brandeis-educated neuroscientist, Siddiqui has become an icon in the terrorist world. I oversaw her 2010 prosecution as the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Crete, over the weekend, we all watched in horror as an individual took four hostages during morning Shabbat services at a, at a synagogue in Colleyville, Texas. One of the names that surfaced in the course of that siege was a name that you had heard before. Yeah, so, you know, I was sitting at home on Saturday, and I got a text or an email from a CNN producer who mentioned the ongoing hostage situation, and I didn't have the news on at the time, which is, I guess, rare rare for me, but I didn't. I didn't know what they were talking about, and the text explained that there was somebody who's claiming to be the brother of Afia Siddiqui and was demanding her release from federal prison. And they said, you know, we're told that you may have some connection to the case. Well, indeed I do. This person who engaged in the hostage taking, who was later apparently shot by the FBI after the four hostages escaped, or I guess one was released and then three escaped in dramatic fashion, he turned out not to be the brother of Afia Sadiq, but I guess, you know, she's his sister in spirit. She was one of the, you know, probably the, the most significant early trial that I oversaw when I became U.S. attorney and it was in January of 2010. Afi Siddiqui was this woman who, who's very bizarre. She's about five feet tall, weighs like 90 pounds. She's brilliant. She went to MIT undergrad. She got a PhD from Brandeis University. She's a neuroscientist from Pakistan. After 9-11, became radicalized, was linked to one or more groups of people who were planning terrorist attacks. She was, she was an object of extreme interest by the intelligence community and the FBI in the mid-2000s. And then in 2008, she was actually apprehended by Afghan forces and brought in for questioning. This is a year before I became the U.S. attorney. And she was taken to a building that was not very secure. Members of the 101st Airborne, uh, United States military, learned of her apprehension, went to go question her also. So you have all these armed men and you have Afia Siddiqui, this radicalized scientist who wanted to do harm to the United States, sitting on the second floor of a building. And by the way, the day before when she was taken into custody, had in her personal possessions, two pounds of sodium cyanide, plans for making bombs, and what looked like targets for mass casualty events, including Grand Central Station, Statue of Liberty. So this is a person who wanted to do great harm 
to people in the United States of America and against American interests generally, she was essentially, although not proven in a court of law yet, a terrorist. She seizes a gun as the questioning is about to begin, or actually maybe after it started, that had been left on the ground somewhat stupidly by one of the military guys and begins shooting at everyone in the room. Miraculously, nobody was, was harmed, nobody was killed, nobody was even shot. She struggles with the interpreter who's trying to take the M4, which is the weapon she's using, out of her hands. One of the other military guys in the room doesn't have a clean shot at her because there's a struggle going on between her and the interpreter, manages to, to fire one shot into her stomach, drops her, they render aid. She's brought to the United States of America for trial for attempting to kill U.S. officials, military personnel, etc. During the trial, by the way, this is important to a point that I think we should make. During the trial, she's very defiant. She does a thing that's very unusual for defendants, and I'm sure this is, in your experience, unusual. She's constantly engaging in outbursts during the trial, some of them anti-Semitic. And for a period of time, she actually has to watch her own trial from her cell with a live video feed. She's convicted, and because a lot of enhancements applied, including the terrorism enhancement and the hate crime enhancement, she was sentenced to 86 years in prison. I spent a lot of time over the weekend because I was getting questions about it, you know, reliving the case, talking to some, I should mention the prosecutors in the case because they did an amazing job in what was a very difficult case. Traveled to Afghanistan, I think more than once. David Rohde, Chris Levine, Jenna Dabbs, who were great former prosecutors and friends of mine. Really an amazing job in this case. It was a very tough case for a lot of reasons. She took the stand in the case. You know, she claimed all of it was a lie, that she never picked up a gun, she never shot. Even though you had many, many witnesses obviously saying the opposite. And she's become, you know, somewhat of a cause celeb in Pakistan and other places where, you know, they kind of think of her as their, unfortunately, Joan of Arc. And there have been other attempts to try to get her out of prison and trades. But the one thing that I wanted to mention with respect to, you know, not just the waging of jihad against America, but also the the inherent anti-Semitism that she had and that apparently this hostage taker had. And in the immediate aftermath of the hostage taking, there was a statement from the FBI. I'm sure you saw it, Joyce. They tried to disclaim that the hostage taker, that this didn't have anything to do with targeting the Jewish community, which is odd when you consider the person he was trying to get out of prison was an anti-Semite, raging anti-Semite, that he chose a synagogue in Texas on the Sabbath and took the rabbi and other members of the congregation hostage. It seemed like a bizarre statement. Do you have any reaction to any of that? I think this is sort of a blind spot that the FBI has. It's not for bad reasons. I think the point that they were trying to make was that this involved foreign terrorism. What that sort of ignores is is the context and the unusual predicament that American Jews find themselves at the crossroad of two different brands of terrorism. I mean, on the one hand, you know, there are modern-day Nazis marching through Charlottesville with tiki torches, chanting, Jews will not replace us. And by the same token, you have a defendant here who I, I read that during her trial, she had actually asked for DNA testing on jurors to make sure that they weren't Jewish. Certainly, the ideology that's really critical to this sort of form of bastardized Islam that we see in the jihad movement is grounded in anti-Semitism. And so for the, the FBI to sort of ignore the obvious when you have hostages taken in the middle of worship in a synagogue, that seems like a really inappropriate misstep. 
I noticed something last night that, I, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the follow-up on this is. President Biden had initially taken a very different stance from the FBI talking about anti-Semitism. Yesterday, I saw that he had walked that back a little bit and seemed to be more allied with the FBI's statement that this was an act of terrorism that involved some form of anti-Semitism. I don't think there is sufficient information to know about why he targeted that synagogue, why he insisted on the release of someone who's been in prison for over uh, 10 years, why he was engaged, why he was uh, using anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli comments. Uh, we, we just don't have enough facts. It was sort of a weak, watered-down statement, and I wonder if we're about to learn more about this hostage-taker here that will justify that. It still seems very blind. It's just very strange, especially when the reasonable and understandable response around the country, in New York City at least, and I'm sure in other places as well, a stepped-up police presence at Jewish houses of worship in those cities. You know, the FBI has primary investigative responsibility for hate crimes, and so I think it's important for them to recognize these things for what they are. You know, this follows on the misstep after the spot killings in Atlanta, where they were slow to, to recognize that one of the motivations was a hate motive towards Asians. And so I think the important thing here is for Muslim and Sikh and Jewish and Asian and, and other groups to continue to try to raise consciousness about the sorts of hate that their communities experience. Yeah, look, I, I have not taken a survey of synagogues versus churches. What I do know is, you know, my people may know my mother-in-law is Jewish, my wife is Jewish, and my mother-in-law goes to a synagogue that for years, not, you know, going back decades, but for years, because of this concern about anti-Semitism and about anti-Jewish violence, has had an armed guard at the synagogue. As, as do we. We pay an annual assessment fee above and beyond our membership dues to fund some pretty hefty security uh, that we have in place at our temple. Yeah, and do you see the same at churches? Does it seem necessary at churches in your area? No. In fact, you know, my kids um, went to an Episcopal day school for elementary school that had no security. The Jewish day school in Birmingham has heavy security. It's a sad state of affairs, obviously. So we should also say, notwithstanding, I don't know who put out the statement. Maybe it was someone in a press office. You know, we should not let that overwhelm the excellent work that the FBI and the hostage Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>